Howdy. Welcome to the Managing Expectations podcast, uh, sponsored this week by Mrs. Winger.com, Mrs. Winger Masks. Uh, we'll talk some more about our esteemed sponsor as the show goes on later in the show. Um, want to welcome you to Managing Expectations number 31 Charlie maybe or uh, maybe this just goes down as uh, Managing Expectations episode 32 what it really is is a Managing Expectations supplemental because it's just me your host Jeff Winger Um, we have been unavoidably delayed uh, because of some pretty serious um, uh, technological problems which have created um, which can be surmounted uh, with more time and money which no one involved in this podcast has enough of Uh, we uh, lost some audio, which was terrific. It was another really good show. This is especially disheartening coming off uh, a, a really fun, uh, I think, a really good uh, episode with uh, um, episode 30. Uh, nevertheless, um, some of you look forward to it. There are We have a, a handful of uh, fans is probably overstating it, but... Um, um, uh, regular listeners who anticipate the podcast so uh, we're happy um, that you waited around for us we look forward to being uh, reunited with uh, the aide de camp Brian Grimm in due course uh, but for now uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, an author uh, and a, a, a you know a, a very uh, accomplished uh, individual in uh, Jim Webb, uh, who I came came to know through print, um, and Webb, in, in due course, wrote uh, has written several books, including uh, a book called *Born Fighting: How the Scots Irish Shaped America*, and. It's uh, a book that's part memoir. Uh, it's part history of uh, the Scots-Irish people, uh, both in Europe, but ultimately here in the States. Um, that uh, changes the way you look at things. It certainly changed the way I look at things. And uh, to use a word that Webb um, would probably take umbrage with um, after reading Born Fighting I'll never look, I'll never look at a redneck the same way again uh, and in this particular moment uh, this particular political moment uh, we we do well to consider uh, the the roots uh, the motivations the the heartfelt desires of a a large number of um, 
I suppose you'd say, our, uh, our, our countrymen. Um, if, you, if you look at most American surnames, uh, there are a ton of German, uh, but there's also a ton of Scots-Irish. And, um, you know, Webb lists some of the folks who have Scots-Irish uh, ancestry from Ava Gardner uh, to Ronald Reagan, George Patton, uh, Van Morrison being from uh, Northern Ireland. Um, so it, it, it's, a, uh, it's a fascinating people. And the, the long and the short of it is uh, they were a fiercely independent folk uh, back in uh, Europe. They, uh, in, in, in ancient times, going back probably to the Bronze Age, you had migration between um, uh, the mainland, uh, you know, uh, big... Uh, Russian folks, the the Rus, uh, and then um, uh, the Vikings who settled, <clears throat> who settled uh, in uh, uh, in parts of northern Britain, um, and then over the decades and the centuries, there was just a lot of migration between the north of Britannia, uh, the part of the UK that we would consider to be Northern England and Scotland, and uh, the island of Ireland, um, which ultimately is how you had a split in Ireland between um, Catholics and Protestants, uh, and Northern Ireland became a distinct part of Great Britain, and Ireland itself uh, maintained its independence. The point is, there are a people whose history is steeped in conflict, uh, that um, and as, particularly if we go back to uh, Scotland um, and, the, and the clans, there was a fierce independence about everybody, and they worked together in clans um, in part because uh, they were uh, loyal uh, to the, the, the chieftain, um, but also they there were ideas of individual honor uh, tied up in it and um, to to insult or to move against my clansmen or my well that that's uh, a Freudian slip and one that we'll get to once we get to the states but uh, my kinsmen a member of my clan if you if you insult him you insult me and so um, uh, a fiercely independent people would nevertheless bind themselves together um, f for the good of everybody so uh, in due course um, they became distinct in, in culture in um, 
their attitudes. They weren't necessarily uh, the most. Um, they didn't. They didn't have um, these these uh, Ulster Scots, as they came to be known, um, would fight for king and country, uh, as the case may be. But in many ways, they were uh, an independent uh, pain in the neck to whoever was ruling in London. Um, when the New World opened up, uh, they were eager to m make the move. And so they were part of the westward migration to the New World, to the American colonies. And as Webb lays out in his book, he, the, the Scots-Irish were used as a, as a bulwark, as a buffer on, on the frontier between <clears throat> the aristocracy, uh, what's called the Tidewater aristocracy in Virginia. And this would have been, frankly, um, the wealthy and well-bred uh, like you know, Thomas Jefferson, or, you know, really many, many of the founding fathers, uh, at least the ones whose names we, we know that we um, uh, can drop in casual conversation. And uh, the thing about the Scots-Irish, and, and again, this is, this is to paraphrase Webb and Born Fighting, um, <laughs> uh, they kind of wanted to be left alone and they weren't scared of um, the native Indians that they were encountering uh, and they um, uh, really didn't have much uh, fondness for uh, the the societal conventions uh, that were uh, 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 prevailing in the East. So uh, to paraphrase Webb, if you gave them a musket and a King James Bible uh, and sent them out, they were fine uh, on their own. Um, Another interesting thing about the world at the time, uh, and particularly about these Scots-Irish, is that they, they did things uh, as families. So um, if you asked, so, so because his wife and children uh, were right there on the frontier with him, um, a Scots-Irish, you know, uh, militiaman, wa warrior, uh, would have every incentive to defend not some abstract concept of uh, uh, expanding colonies or for the 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 majesty that is Lon that that, that is uh, Britain. Uh, but for um, self-preservation and a way of life. 
And we see these same themes uh, stretched out uh, into um, the modern world today. Many people in defending gun ownership uh, will say it's a way of life. It's passed down from um, father to son and has been for generations. That's true. I don't know that it necessarily provides um, a rationale for assault weapons, but that's a political argument and not something that I'm interested in um, discussing here. Um, what I do know is that as a guy who was raised, um, well, north of Texas, um, that when I moved to the south, I met more people um, cut from this cloth than I'd ever met before. And they have a gun around the house. So most of these guys um, uh, live somewhere in the country and they'll keep a 22 around to kill a snake. Or I have another friend who's pure country. He's big country. Um, and he uh, um, he, he, he um, several years ago, uh, a Texas senator said, uh, I have more guns than I need, but not as many guns as I would like. Uh, now that's very, that's very different uh, from, I, I, I don't have that attitude, but if I, if you look around my house, uh, you would see that I have more of X than I need but not as many as I would like. Um, books come to mind. Uh, I have more books than I need, but not as many as I'd like. Uh, because, um, you know, I, I, for, you know for, for different reasons. My wife uh, for, uh, has more shoes than she needs, uh, but not as many as she would like. Uh, so, you know, the gun culture is an interesting thing. I think some guys who are really into it uh, are into it in, in fascinating ways. Um, um, there's a, a mechanical um, precision and exactitude to the way things are milled and constructed. Uh, and it's it, it, it compare it this way uh, it's similar to a cell phone um, some things are built so so perfectly it's just a it's a beautiful device it's a it's a wonder to behold how tightly it fits together how um, how seamlessly it works um, or you can buy a burner uh, Android phone uh, for $50 and it's a piece of junk and you think, why did I just blow $50 on this? And I think guns are the same sort of thing. Some of them are uh, constructed with great care and precision uh, and others um, just need to go bang. So, um, uh, you, you run into that more in the South than I ever did growing up 
in the Denver suburbs. Uh, Denver is uh, Colorado is is obviously uh, has a lot of uh, open spaces, a lot of natural lands, though a lot of those are federal lands. Um, but you know, up in the hills in the mountains, you've got more people with guns um, than you do in the city. Uh, at least that's the that's how it seems. That's that that's how it seems. There's plenty of guns in American cities, but. It's, it's a tool in rural America. And some of that harkens back to the fact that the Scots-Irish, as a, a fiercely independent people, um, like to be left alone. They like a little space uh, between, <laughs> um, between neighbors. Um, we, we get along better when we only see each other, you know, once in a while. So the aristocracy in, the, in, the colon, in, in colonial America used the Scots-Irish uh, to uh, buffer themselves uh, against the Indian nations. And um, sometimes they got along, and sometimes they had to fight. And so, if they fought, sometimes they lost. Uh, and sometimes they won and excuse me, one a reprieve. And that in and itself is interesting, but it, these are the guys who came uh, through the, uh, the gaps, the, the Cumberland Gaps in the Appalachian Mountains and made their way into places like Tennessee, um, uh, uh, in, in, into Georgia. Uh, it was all part of uh, the westward expansion of the nation. Uh, in due course, um, the Scots-Irish fairly filled uh, Tennessee, and a lot of those guys uh, pressed on into Texas, which was um, where, where they similarly, once again, you know, decades after um, living to tell the tale um, coming from the east they were once again used as a buffer uh, Mexico was uh, was a international power um, and they owned Texas it was part of uh, a Spanish settlement uh, which came up from the south and uh, the Scots-Irish were given uh, places, you know, land uh, and the ability to live in what was then Mexico uh, to, if, as long as they were there to create a bulwark, uh, a, a cushion between the, uh, the Mexican Empire and the Comanches. And listen, no fooling, the Comanches were the real deal. Uh, be looking for, um, uh, there's, a, there's a book by uh, uh, S.C. Gwynn that uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, bought the rights to and is apparently working on and I'm sure has been delayed because of, um, because of uh, COVID-19. But um, uh, 
uh, something about the sun heart something about the moon I don't know it's SC Gwyn um, anyway uh, the Comanches were were fierce warriors I mean they were brutal to everybody they were brutal to other uh, Indian nations uh, and they certainly didn't like white guys who sh showed up and were doing all sorts of things different so uh, an extraordinary um, uh, as as Texas uh, developed um, after independence so after enough Scots-Irish moved to Texas to steal it from Mexico um, say no we're gonna have a, our own state here and so um, uh, that is state in the sense of a government and um, uh, territory and the whole whole bit so uh, Texas was uh, uh, an, an independent republic uh, very much set up on the ideals of the Scots-Irish who founded it and you know from Davy Crockett who perished at the Alamo uh, to Sam Houston who had gone broke in, in um, um, uh, Tennessee to, uh, Sam Houston famously said uh, uh, well maybe it was, I'm sorry maybe it wasn't Sam Houston but somebody notable said uh, you may all go to hell and I will go to Texas and um, uh, with that we're going to take a quick break and talk to you for just a moment about Mrs. Winger masks um, uh, information about including um, uh, a catalog and ways to order can all be found at uh, mrswinger.com. That's M R S W E N G E R.com. Um, you know, nobody likes uh, wearing masks right now. We all look forward to a future when we can go back to uh, showing our handsome noses and our Clooney-esque smile uh, without um, being in uh, what's essentially a surgical mask. But uh, uh, until that day arrives, um, the cause uh, of prudence and uh, social uh, responsibility uh, seems to be to uh, wear just wear the mask. Um, they uh, look good. Um, they're they're stylish. Um, they're made from uh, a breathable cotton with a, a muslin backing. Um, it's they're very breathable. Uh, they um, are comfortable. They have uh, cotton. Uh, bands rather than elastic, uh, which go over the ears. Uh, there's several choices to many choices. I'm thinking more than twenty uh, choices uh, select uh, to select um, different styles, different colors, um, because you know, look, a lot of people are. Uh, uh, 
taking meetings now and not everything in this economy uh, can be done over Zoom. So uh, Mrs. Winger masks, uh, um, have you looking good? Uh, have you feeling good? Uh, but we should probably say a word too about how effective they are. Um, based on the CDC guidelines, um, they're a two ply so there's two layers of cotton that you're breathing th that you are breathing through um, but then there's also a, an, an inner flap uh, which allows you to put a, a, a coffee filter some other sort of filter um, in and you can you can breathe through that uh, it, it's unbelievable um, how well how breathable these things are and yet if you hold your hand up uh, in front of your mask that you're wearing and you blow, try to blow through uh, you can't feel it on your hand that means that it really is filtering out um, uh, the, the, the air the particles that um, cause the crud that none of us want to get uh, these are machine washable um, you can dry them you can hang them up to dry uh, there's been some shrinkage, but uh, being cotton, they stretch out pretty well. So uh, Mrs. Winger masks are stylish, effective, and comfortable. Um, so Mrs. Winger masks, feel good, look good, be good. You're going to wear a mask for a while. Uh, make it a, a good mask that you feel good wearing make it a mrs winger mask so uh returning to the scots irish and their development here in the states um uh one of the one of the uh key themes that webb strikes in his book and which is um which is borne out by, um, uh, you know, just e experience is that it's a, it's a very bottom-up uh, uh, mentality. It's not top-down. Um, they're not folks who like to be told what to do. And this might be contrasted with... Um, uh, the Nordic peoples who uh, migrated um, to, say, Minnesota, uh, or the Germanic peoples um, who, who, uh, when I say Germanic, you, you might think of uh, the uh, barbarians who um, faced off against Russell Crowe in the first few minutes of Gladiator. Um, uh, but like the Pennsylvania Dutch, these were uh, sincere um, Quakers, uh, sincerely uh, religious people uh, who came to the States to worship differently than they did in England or Germany, both of which had established churches um, and who were able to worship um, in accord with their conscience uh, in a new world. Um, 
remember and maybe you maybe you've seen the HBO um, series uh, uh, John Adams based on David David McCullough's book but um, the the representatives of um, Pennsylvania were loath to go to war with um, England um, not because they liked living under um, England and uh, 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 the idea of it's not like they liked taxation without representation, but they just were um, a, a, a Quaker teaching, um, and and the various offshoots of uh, the Quakers. So there were the there were the Shakers. Uh, you've heard of Shaker furniture. That that's um, was a product of. Uh, uh, these insulated uh, religious communities who worshipped God in their own way and who um, uh, w were outside the mainstream. And, and, and there was kind of a lot of that in Pennsylvania. Um, nevertheless, uh, some folks, uh, some of those um, people of, of German descent would continue to travel uh, westward and travel southward. So um, we um, uh, the way they worshipped uh, was a very uh, ha very much uh, defined or, or helped, helped them to develop the way they developed. So uh, the Germans who've been in the States since the mid-1700s, for example, uh, they were largely religious dissidents uh, at the time, uh, again, l looking for their own way of doing things. Um, that, that is, they had a way that, that uh, um, made them upright before their God and it wasn't necessarily the Anglicanism of England it wasn't the Lutheranism of the northern European continent and it surely wasn't the Catholicism of the south um, so so they were they were uh, worshipping their way now the Presbyterianism uh, and when you if you if I say Presbyterian now and you think of um, uh, someone in a country club that wasn't the Presbyterianism uh, practiced in Scotland and Northern Ireland. There, there was uh, a strong belief in predestination, that uh, God was a hard grader. Uh, he was very, <laughs> very difficult. Uh, to please and uh, uh, so he um, it was tough you know there was um, and, and and as they brought that to the states and as the migration got them further and further away from the strict Calvinists of the Northeast um, this 
way of worshiping developed into what we associate with uh, the Baptist religion, um, uh, Methodism, uh, uh, the Methodist Church, uh, for folks who were less hardcore. Um, ain't it hard being so hardcore? That's how you got a. That's how you got a Methodist. Um, and uh, the Methodists were also a little more willing to assimilate into the mainstream of American society. Now, there's, of course, there's um, uh, Baptists of, of many different stripes. Uh, different groups are more uh, organized, more uniform in their way of doing things than others. But you also then have in the South, you'll have very small churches a guy can just start his own church and maybe you've seen um, the movie The Apostle with Robert Duvall um, uh, which is a, a very interesting film in that it it provided a look inside a real aspect of American life that I don't ever really come into contact with um, uh, uh, people who believe uh, very much uh, in uh, their own sinful condition uh, and who grapple with it um, in, in, a, in a mighty way but largely on their own um, because again they eschew um, uh, a formal hierarchy so um bearing um so um we get uh, modern um evangelicals uh, i i say I, I i say baptist and i and i mean that in a broad way and i don't mean any disrespect by it um when you think of for example uh the televangelist jimmy swaggart who was, uh, he may still be alive, but you know, he's, he's legitimately Southern guy. I think he's, I mean, he's, he's from the deep South. He, he uses, he used tremendous showmanship, um, during his, the height of his, um, uh, during the, his most influential period, uh, in the eighties. Um, uh, and then, you know, I, th I think he was caught with a prostitute and, and he did a very public, um, you know, confession, uh, and he, and he cried and, you know, some people saw that as sincere and other people saw it as a cynical, um, play to get more money and, um, you know. <laughs> whatever God, God will judge but um, it, it, it's that sense that tension between sin and salvation between um, uh, what you do on Saturday night before you go to uh, church on Sunday morning that's very much a part of the Scots-Irish tradition and it's from, from that that we get guys like Hank Williams, Hank Williams Jr., um, 
a lot of uh, Johnny Johnny Cash, um, you know, uh, jo Johnny Cash was a conflicted guy, but he loved his second wife June Carter, and she was um, uh, certainly religiously affiliated, um, and and in due course, you know, jo Johnny Cash um, uh, came around to that. Um, um, uh, there's um, uh, Loretta Lynn uh, really is a coal miner's daughter uh, and um, is really from Butcher Holler and uh, as such she was raised in a, a strict uh, in, a, in, in a religion that was uh, strict as to its uh, moral um, constraints, uh, its its guidelines, uh, stay stay within these boundaries, and you're going to be okay. Get outside of them, and you're not going to be okay. Which is incidentally, outside of you know artists with um, an an extreme view of just anything goes, um, is is kind of under is is kind of widely adapted. Um, it's a widely held belief. Uh, it's just that where those boundaries, how far those boundaries go is where um, people ought to be able to agree to disagree uh, as opposed to saying, no, if you don't agree to m with my boundaries, you're, you're a terrible person and must be destroyed. But that's an aside about the current uh, state of affairs. Um, the, the the predominating uh, attitude in the in in society today. So, um, uh, you know when when Hank Williams, uh, and it still just knocks me out to think that guy was just in his late twenties when he died. I mean, so he'd already had a family and uh, an incredible body of work when. Uh, the fast living lifestyle um, and how fast could it have been uh, in you know whatever 1930s 1940s America <clears throat> um, I'm just saying that it's not like there was uh, it, it, being with Hank uh, backstage couldn't have been like being with the Eagles backstage or the Rolling Stone so um, uh, the idea of um, so, so this tension of uh, sin and salvation and um, it's very much a part of the Scots-Irish um, uh, experience uh, if we um, uh, what, one of the things that uh Marked uh, w one of the things that as as their religion developed, it was also part of who. Um, it it was also consistent with who they were as a people. So, for example, in the books, uh, uh, how the Scots made America by a guy named Martin Fry, uh, we read that. Um, 
an older Calvinist tradition had itself always displayed a deep suspicion of imaginative literature as something morally dubious because it dealt in untruth and aroused the passions. So uh, it's like, well, that that's outside. That's no good for you. If it was good for you, we'd have done it here ourselves. And again, when you go back to the musket and the King James Bible um, uh, and really that was satisfactory uh, to most of these guys uh, m m most of the people uh, there was a there was a tragic view that developed in part because um, so, so the, the Scots-Irish would fight. Um, Ulster Scots would fight if their honor was besmirched, if there was uh, a need uh, um, you know, to, to defend hearth and home. Um, but they didn't... Um, it wasn't all about winning. Um, uh, again, Martin Fry wrote... Scots in many circumstances admire failure too because failure can be heroic and success is not always the measure of moral worth. Um, my friend Scott, Scotty Mack, um, who is himself uh, cut from Scots-Irish cloth, says, well, uh, that sounds like um, it was written by a loser. <laughs> and I think he, I think Scott was being arch, um, but uh, it is so that uh, uh, out of the uh, develop the development of extraordinary courage, uh, they are willing to take up uh, lost causes, um, which they did in the Civil War. Um, at which time they, they lost to, okay, and look, th this has, uh, for the sake of, for the point of my discussion, let's stipulate that chattel slavery uh, as recently as, you know, whatever, 175 years ago um, is inexcusable and awful and the greatest stain on the American experience and being originally from the north um, and growing up out west I have no truck with the Confederacy uh, whatsoever uh, but I also know that um, the southern experience uh, because of the war lends itself to a tragic view of history, which I do share. Um, uh, Fry writes, found through bitter experience that history is not always a matter of onward and upward progress. On the contrary, fine and noble things can vanish as if they had never been borne down by base and shameful things. So, um I, I, Webb will remind us that the 
average that the the typical the typical um, Confederate soldier didn't own slaves and wasn't even necessarily um, uh, fighting to preserve slavery. I think being objective uh, about um, that <laughs> um, uh, there wasn't a lot of love lost in um, between the typical Confederate soldier and um, uh, the Africans who had been brought to America and um, born here, raised here, uh, uh, denied freedom here. Um, in fact, when um, Nathan Bedford Forrest, uh, who was one of the great minds of uh, the Confederacy uh, was trying to get guys to ride with him. Uh, his uh, he he appealed thusly, um, boys. If you want to kill Yankees and N words, come with me. And um, uh, you know, I, I think of that, you know, I, um, uh, when I go to uh, visit uh, a member of my wife's family um, in Tennessee, uh, I'll, we'll drive through and, and from where we live in Texas, uh, the north, well, the, uh, the eastern part of Arkansas, and particularly the northeastern part, can get kind of dry, kind of bleak. Uh, I think they grow cotton in places there, but that's only going to be by um, uh, irrigating from the Mississippi or, or, or some such. Um, but then you get through Memphis, and you're struck by how beautiful Tennessee is. Uh, Tennessee um, uh, becomes very wooded, becomes very green and lush. Um, it it um, has rolling hills, and you're thinking, my, this is this is a beautiful land. And um, about the time I'm thinking that, uh, I come upon uh, Nathan Bedford Forest uh, uh, State Park, probably, but maybe National Park. And um, uh, I think, yeah, yeah nope. Uh, I'm going to keep driving. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to. Uh, so look, that that's just me, and I'm not. I'm not talking about pulling statues down, and I'm not talking about making a federal case out of it. But you know, I'm going to vote with my feet. And there's a uh, hundred beautiful state parks and national parks, and um, I am not going to the Nathan Bedford Forest. Um, um, I, I don't know. I, I should. I should. I should have looked up to see whether or not it was a state park or a national park. But uh, uh, anyway, um, so that's uh, an incredibly incomplete uh, uh, overview of the Scots Irish in America. Um, there's more that can be said, and I plan on saying more about Jim Webb, 
uh, and it's clear to me now that uh, I, I'm unable to uh, uh, get this done on any sort of time frame. But uh, uh, stand stand by while I um, well as I prepare to uh, talk some more about uh, uh, the author. Uh, among other notable things, um, uh, lawyer, filmmaker, novelist, uh, reporter, uh, senator from the great state of Virginia, and and now um, uh, a member of a Notre Dame-based think tank. Um, so I'll talk more about Jim Webb uh, at a in some other supplemental. But uh, uh, for right now, uh, that's the Scots-Irish, uh, an interesting people who make up a huge percentage. If you look and see where most Americans come from, an, an enormous amount come from the Germans, and an enormous amount uh, have Irish surnames, but they tend to be um, Scots-Irish uh, because... Um, you know, uh, of a high birth rate and um, just a, a resilient um, manner of life. So um, we're going to leave it there for this episode of Managing Expectations. It wasn't as much fun as um, maybe as, as uh, other episodes. Uh, you get that uh, when it's just me by myself. Uh, but um, uh, on the other hand I hope you learned something uh, it's why we always urge you to manage your expectations uh, knowing that uh, it's just a matter of time before I disappoint you or in some of your cases disappoint you again nevertheless we're very very happy that you uh, spent some time listening to uh, the Managing Expectations podcast. As always, we want to thank uh, Mrs. Winger and Miss, Mrs. Winger's masks uh, found at mrswinger.com uh, where you can find stylish, effective, and comfortable masks. Mrs. Winger masks feel good, look good, be good. And so until next time, this is Jeff Winger for Managing Expectations. Uh, without any fancy bumper music on the way out, we will talk again. Take care, everybody.